Hey, what's up, guys? So I just sat down uh, for a conversation with the editor-in-chief creator of Avocado Toast. No, not the toast. The magazine coming out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Jamila Pomeroy. And it was unreal. I couldn't, I couldn't actually fully articulate how she dives into her creative process and how she really picks apart different editorial processes and how she picks writers and how she looks at stories and how she crafts a narrative. But, you know, as a listener, deep dive into this one. If you're into storytelling, you'll love it. And she's also a sweetheart. She's, we had a good time. It's a, it's a fun, fruitful podcast. Check it out. And you might learn a little something about writing too. For the longest time, my introduction to you was through avocado toast. Yes. And I, I didn't, I knew avocado toast before I knew you, but because it, it, it popped up on my feed and I'm like, this is super cool. I love the cover, by the way, whatever, we'll get into it. Um, <laughs> avocado toast. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, Yep, there it the is. There it is. She's on the edge of thought. So you. And that's our, our designated yogi there, right? right oh my God, there. beautiful. Leo. I trust him with my thoughts. Oh yeah. Beautiful. So mind, look, look at that. Hold up. Can you go back to that, please? Who's that like by? Yeah, I talk that talk and I walk that walk. Oh, yeah. I'm out here. Um, so you are the creator, chief editor, the... You gave birth to this, essentially, yes. right? This is your passion project. This is your... How would you describe Avocado Toast to you? Um. Well, it, it started off as... I actually wanted to do a podcast. Um, no actually, way. I know, I know. Actually, the... The better way to begin was I wrote a book, which I'm still trying to get published. Um, and I kind of, <laughs> I wanted to do um, like an interview series of, of kind of the types of people I featured in the book. Sure. And turn that into a podcast. And um, the book had a lot of elements of sort of philosophy in it so i thought that would be interesting to apply it to real life and some sort of like podcast thought experiment conversation yeah. yeah totally and then um i started to kind of do the interviews and i ended up i went to squamish to interview a friend of mine who is um she lives as like a digital nomad oh my god that's so cool yeah who's that um azalea can you can we pull her up I don't know. I don't know what her. You don't know her, what her Instagram is actually. Got to know this off the top. I know. Off, I don't know what it is. Off no, the top no pressure of my head. for you. No okay, pressure okay. For you, but um, yeah. So she she is a um like a designer and she builds websites and she does a bunch of other stuff. But she has been sort of um I guess living in trade situations. Like, okay, you need somebody to house sit your home oh. in the beautiful Squamish. Sure, I'll do that. Gotcha. And like having her business th business thrive from just living a nomad life, but she does every all like all of her work is digitally based, so it's kind of interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so I felt like okay, I have to interview her a hundred percent. And I just kind of took off, went to Squamish, interviewed her, and then I spent the weekend with her. And I came home and I had a bunch of work that I was super behind on. And I was sitting in a coffee shop 
and I'm working on all the work and I had my headphones on and I kind of look out into the distance and there's like this barista and this guy kind of like arguing. I took my headphones off and uh, the guy was arguing about avocado toast. (laughs) Um, Typical Vancouver, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Claiming that like the avocado toast was the same price as his wage. He made minimum wage and he was like, so I'm supposed to spend like an hour's pay pay on avocado toast before taxes yes and then he he ended up buying the toast still and i'm there eating my avocado toast and i was (laughs) kind of like oh my goodness that's such a great representation of sort of the modern creative struggle kind of like everybody trying to maintain these certain aesthetics to have this visual representation of, oh, like I am the person who sits in the minimalistic cafe and eats the avocado toast. That's $12. And, like, that's, yeah, that's $12 when maybe that's not like the best financial decision or, yeah. or maybe they could, yeah, maybe they could do without the avocado toast, but. Um, or you could make the avocado or toast. Or they could make it at home. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of, I started thinking about that and that name just kept, just stuck with me oh, it was perfect. like avocado toast post and then I, I kind of thought oh maybe it's too too much of like a gimmick but the more i thought about it the more it made sense and no it's totally yeah. catchy and it's the easiest thing to remember like i think uh, so <laughs> a to- no totally yeah totally <laughs> this is a little embarrassing but for the longest time um Kevin and I, we constantly, uh, Kevin Wong, who produces this podcast and is the co-founder of Self-Fired uh, for the listeners, Kevin Wong and I, we would always talk about creatives in the space and what the different people are doing and how they're marketing it and, and what they're branding and the tone of voices. And I'm like, oh man, I like, I like what that avocado thing is over there. Da, da, da. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, man, we should get, we should get that, that, that person on. And they'd be like, who, who's that person? And I'd be like, um, avocado toast girl. <laughs> And you were avocado toast girl. That is, that's for like so funny. Two months. He listen. He's probably mad at me for saying this on on camera. But honestly, no. And, I believe it. I believe it. I've had a few people come up to me on the street and be like, "Avocado toast." Literally. Yeah. Literally. And uh, <laughs> and so and I couldn't get that out of my head for the longest time. And uh, and even we have like workflows and, and yeah. through uh, for the podcast and like through different uh, software management uh, companies and whatnot. And we'll have like our guests and our, our whole workflow. And it was just like avocado toast interview, pending avocado toast interview, <laughs> avocado toast girl here, avocado toast girl. And then we had you down. Oh my goodness, we hilarious. really wanted to fit you in. And we were like, oh, let's do avocado toast on um, uh, Monday night. And I was like, why would we get breakfast in the morning? Like that doesn't make any sense. And like, no, 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 avocado toast girl. I'm like, avocado toast girl. Perfect, perfect. Yes. I love it. I love it. So um, you chose a damn good name. Oh, thank you. A damn good name. I'm. Uh, I love that type of aesthetic too. You uh, back home. I'm from the uh, the Gulf Islands, Vancouver Island, if you Amazing. will. Right. We have this thing called CV Collective, which is uh, just Comox Valley Collective essentially, and it's just a compilation of like breweries and skiing and snowboarding, uh, photography, and it's just like a collection of whatever the most badass three levels underneath the surface is of the Comox Valley. And I was just like, Amazing. wow, that's so cool. And the narrative and the writing was very like authentic and local and have a, had a different perspective. 
And for the longest time, I was like, man, like Vancouver doesn't have a voice. And so to see these little, and you're you're part of a bigger movement in my in my opinion of these little seedlings coming up and being like, because just the name and your style of writing, your even how you organize things on a page and you organize digitally, is the essence of what I think Vancouver's creative digital voice could could be. You know what oh I'm saying? Oh my goodness, amazing! Thank you. I think it, and I love it because it, it plays on the, I make fun of Vancouver for being entitled and bougie. Oh yeah. No, the right? name itself is like almost like a, a mock of this very, it's this perfect. A, like this aesthetic and this whole like obsession with modern minimalism, which is like, I think it's beautiful. It's not for me. I'm yeah. not, I'm not a minimalist, minimalist by yeah. any means. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Tyler? Um, yeah, <laughs> Tyler's, where, Tyler's yeah. ears are pricking yeah, up somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it was a little bit of like a little bit of a mock of where things are at for creatives for sure. It wasn't I, I don't I don't like to take myself seriously. I don't like to take like I take certain things in life very seriously, but What do you take seriously in life? Um work ethic. Yes. Yes. Great answer. That's an, inter- the <laughs> that's an interview answer. That's an interview answer. Great job. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, totally. What else? Or right, you know what? What else did you want that name to embody other than like the modern creative direction and the play on words? Like if you're painting a picture in a consumer's mind, mm-hmm. how does what space... This is a difficult question, I know, but I, I, I do want to dive into it. When I think of a piece of avocado toast, literally, with the seeds and with the sliced tomato, how does that, what positioning are you trying to put your publication in? What emotions are you trying to spark? What what space are you trying to occupy with that name and with that direction versus like a, I don't know, Exclaim Mag or versus a Curiosity Vancouver, like those those occupy different spaces in my mind. Right. What space does avocado toast occupy in my mind? So we're a lifestyle magazine, um, but we're our focus is a little bit different. That, um, yeah. There actually isn't another magazine on the North American market with this exact focus, which I think is going to help us do really well. Our focus is on modern anthropology. So... What that means is we're sort of immersing ourselves in many different cultures. So generally with a lifestyle magazine, you'll have like blanketed branding where it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we think that to be cool or to be trendy, you need to be dressing this way. You need to be eating these things. You need to be reading these books. You need to like, it's giving you this sort of, one size fits all lifestyle, mm-hmm. whereas we are more of a celebration of many different lifestyles and many different cultures, and just like a representation of, at, at least this is what we're, we're hoping that's to a, be that, representation no, I, I, I of g- many yeah. different people. I giggle because that's just so politically correct. <laughs> this is the most super politically correct. I'm now, trying. I'm trying. Not that it's wrong. Like it's totally. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. Oh yeah, this is this is our. Um, our cover feature, uh, Corpsey, um, Ken Lee, he is originally from Washington. This is Ken? Yeah, this is Ken. 
Um, he lived in Vancouver for a while, went to Emily Carr for a while, ended up in California. Um, and yeah, he's an artist. He makes some super, super sick streetwear. Um, I can like see that. The jackets and he does bags too. Um, his big thing is sort of reclaiming clothes. So he'll take like things like luxury brands like Louis Vuitton and stuff mm. and just like spray paint over them and like recreate yeah. things. Um, yeah, he, what kind of got him to the level that he's at now is Jaden Smith has been oh, rocking yeah. his stuff. So wow. if you like Jaden Smith, Jaden Smith as in Will Smith's son, as in Will Smith's son. Yeah. What? He, um, what? I guess, yeah. What? Yeah, Corpsey was at a show. What did you call it icon and, living? Oh, Sorry. yeah. No. Yeah, for Cor- real? Yeah, for real. Corpsey was at a show, and he's wearing the jacket, and Jane's kind of, like, checking him out wearing this jacket and was, like, like, eyeing the jacket. So he took it off, gave it to him, and then next thing you know, in, like, the Idol's remix video, that's Corpsey's jacket. What? Yeah. Crazy. So he he's definitely... Um, like, I had the opportunity to put Jaden Smith on the cover for the first issue, but I felt like... Who's your marketing manager? <laughs> Me. <laughs> Smack some sense into that girl. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I had the opportunity to put the but biggest... But I really, I, I really wanted to, to, to start it um, just sort of showing where our ethics are coming from and where we want to be formulating like the bones of the magazine whereas i think the story of ken is more important than the story of Jaden in terms of what kind of publicity we want to be putting out um no disrespect to Jaden smith i think he's doing really great but i think just the story of ken got himself out of being a homeless youth to making clothes and art for like Hollywood elite, I think that's well. You're you're trying to say that Jaden Smith didn't have incredible hardship. Holy God, he is a trailblazer from nothing, <laughs> truly from nothing. Yeah, shout out Will. Um, <laughs> uh, that's super freaking admirable of you. And uh, hopefully, twenty thirty years down the line, you know, you can lean on that. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's you know, from a legacy standpoint, and when this thing does get to a to a, a global level, totally. you can you can say, you know what? Issue number one, we decided to take a direction, and we're still there. I mean, that just that speaks volume. Uh, it's. <laughs> And I don't think that's something that, um, especially now with publications, with how hard it is to make it as a publication, Mm -hmm. I think um, it's just super easy for someone to be like, okay, well, Jaden Smith's trending right now. Put him on the cover. and Totally. And then we're going to sell copies. But then it's like, okay, are you, do you want to be like a publication with content that is expanding people's mind or do you want to be an ad? Do you want to be People's Mag or what do you want to be? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. exactly. What's the prototype for you guys moving forward? Like, is there a, I know that you're going to say you're, you're, you're trailblazing and I don't actually deny that you are, but it, there had to be some uh, sources of inspiration or things that you wanted to take from in terms of other publications, other magazines. Um, I would say like there's definitely um, aesthetic that I've pulled from, like mm-hmm. Kinfolk, I've always loved okay. their aesthetic um i wouldn't say their content is reflective of what we have in the magazine 
There's really no, like, when you think of other lifestyle magazines, I there's, have, nothing, I have... there's nothing that compares to it. Like, right. that. that's why I stuck with it, because trying to, I, I, I have a bit of business schooling, and I know when you approach investors, either if you come to them with a bunch of other businesses or in this case publications Mm -hmm. that have done really well that are like your project or Mm -hmm. whatever you're trying to put forth then they kind of either it's you're going to do really well or you're going to not do so well because why would like you have to stand out in some way yeah yeah so i think it's lending to us being able to get a lot of financial help which is great wow yeah that's awesome very early. When did this, uh, when was the inception first published? Out? Um, well, we, we first got together in April and then we actually launched in October. Okay. Who's we? We would be, um, well, first it was me and our managing editor, Joey Lopez, I don't know who Joey is, but that's a that's a famous person name. <laughs> oh, he is for sure, big time. Is he? <laughs> He's going to be definitely. Okay. No, I believe it. Joey yeah. Lope, that's 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 on Jimmy Kimmel Live in a year, <laughs> sure. Yeah, so he he works in the film industry and he does indie videos with his film company called Entertainment Forever Film. Badass. Yeah, yeah. No, they're super wicked. They've done a lot of music videos for artists like. Kim Mortal, um, I don't know, like BB No Money. No, no idea. But I, you know what? I believe it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, and then we kind of, I, I said to him, "Oh, I have this idea. I really want to start this publication." He was a writer. He went to school for writing and film, particularly. And I asked him to go in on it with me, and he was. I, very into it from the beginning is like yeah this is a great idea and then slowly we kind of formed different sections and now we have a team we just had a meeting yesterday actually and we were missing three people our team was 11 wow so Hmm. it's grown quite fast and now the the different sections are um we have a fashion editor um holistic health the leo who we just saw on the screen a little while ago right. yeah he's our, our designated yogi and then we have a design section best. i know right yeah. well it's so vancouver yeah, so vancouver <laughs> yeah the design uh, section for interior design do you have a designated barista because that was probably needed no we don't but i i'm pretty vancouver of, i know i know i'm managing all of the the food section because what i went to school for was culinary i mm. was a chef for a while so that's Something that I, I I'd like to oh. incorporate my actual schooling. Oh, into. you're 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 crazy. That's what you're telling me. <laughs> Chefs are bonkers. I listen. <laughs> Just I'll, a little bit. Oh, <laughs> crazy people you know. Don't date chefs. <clears throat> um, I'm telling you. Listen, I've worked in a, I worked in a couple kitchens, man. Oh my gosh, the the male chefs were were they, like flaring constantly like it just anything and but 
that's not what you're worried about. You're worried about the female chefs because the female chefs will get you in a different type of way. They'll corner you, right? You're like I was a food. I was a I was a. Uh, I came up as a dishwasher to a, a food prep to a line cook to a sous chef, and man, they like I'm trying. I'm doing some quick julienne in the corner, and they'll come up to you and say, "Hey, what the fuck happened with that pork roast the other day, huh?" I know it went out this one way, and they'll get you in this weird little spot, and I'm so scared to death, death. Death. Shout out Vanessa. She's the cook. You know, she's the chef. I'm referring to. But um, anyways, um, that's a little bit of crazy in you. It's a good thing though. I like it. Creative. I, I feel like I, I maybe I get like a little bit of a pass because as a pastry chef, so I oh, was okay. dealing with. Oh, like, you're a pastry chef. Yeah, I, I completely did, I did, disregard I did. everything I just said. <laughs> disregard everything I just said. I did completely I did regular thing. savory stuff for a little bit, but it was it pastry was my uh, main. You're a sweetheart. Totally but I, different. I had to deal with crazy brides all Dude, the time. Pastry Swiss so. are the sweetest humans on <laughs> guys. I'm so sorry, Kev. We're editing that one out. Um, <laughs> pastry chefs are so sweet. It was yeah, a lot of wedding cakes, a lot of oh, love did, is like, in the air. Oh yeah, I mean there were a few few um, cakes I made for women maybe like a couple years after when they got divorced, but there were only a couple. Yikes. I know. Yikes. Uh, it's hard to be married uh, in 2019. Definitely. In 20, it's hard to be married, period. I wouldn't know, but the divorce rate is high. It is, definitely. I, I do know that. Um, sorry, I just want to backtrack here. Um, we never we never got an answer on, on the frozen, frozen deserts. Oh. Oh, she got oh. an answer. She just didn't want to interject. I'm sorry. I'm so curious. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, that's that's of uh, of large concern to me. I'm so sorry. I called you out to be a crazy it's crazy okay. chef. I, I definitely I dealt with a, a very so you know. intense woman chef you for a while. I had a carrot thrown on my face. Oh my gosh, I had onions thrown at me. Yeah, onions. onions and I was hurt. like, I think I'm just gonna be a pastry chef. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had this. Um, oh, here we go. That's a tundra. What? That's a tundra. What is a polar totally desert? Totally different. Oh, a polar desert. I want to say desert every time. It's defined as a region with mean temperature during the warmest months, less than 10 degrees Celsius, and annual pre- 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 precipitation of no more than 250 mil- millimeters. I knew it was a thing. Wow, that looks super badass. That looks like a place chasing sunrise would go. Is that you right there, Bree? Yeah, that's <laughs> you right there. You, this is your blog, isn't it? You plug in your own shit on the podcast. God damn it. Um, <laughs> I totally lost my train of thought. Um, oh, my God. Chefs. Sorry. I got to go on this. Dude. Okay. I had, I had an onion thrown at me one time. Mm-hmm. So terrible. I, I oh, Okay. Whatever. Um, this one time, I worked at this uh, lodge called Seabreeze Lodge on Hornby. Cause yeah. I, I, from when I was like 12 Sorry, Jeff. I'm gonna, uh, listen. The labor wards off you for that one. Now, I was a big 12 year old, and uh, until I was like 1920, and just through the, the summers and the shoulder seasons when I wasn't in school. And we had this one chef this one time that just came from Thailand, spent a year in Thailand. He wanted to implement a Thai night. We're like awesome, and he's like, Joss, listen. The most important thing on this whole thing is the rice, right? Like the rice is the base for everything. We need that to be fine. If the rice doesn't go, nothing else goes. We can fuck up one other dish, but if the rice doesn't go, we're fucked. So listen, this is the rice. Here's the ratios. Da, 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 da. It's rice. Don't fuck it up. And I'm like, dude, it's rice. Like one to two. Like relax. He's like, yes, one to two. Do you know rice? Yes, I know rice. Okay, I'll, like relax. It's for a, it's 150, 200 people. Yes, okay, I got it. Relax. So then, 
it comes time and the rice is cooking slow. The rice is cooking slow. It's not coming to the top. It's real wet. It's real moist. I'm stirring. I'm like, chef, I don't know what's going on. Male chef, have you? Um, so I knew I wasn't, you know, it was going to be okay. And, uh, and I'm, I'm stirring this rice. I'm stirring this rice and it's not there. All of a sudden it's 630 at service. We need this to start building the plates. And it's not there. He flips out, throws the rice pot. And so we, we flip it. So we'll, We'll flip the rice, right, right, and, and air it out to get it fluffy and all that stuff. We flip it, it just like boom, like porridge, and I'm like, "Fuck!" Manager's right there. Um, what's it called? Oh my god, the guy that expedites the expo, but it's called something else um, on the line that runs the plates. But whatever, you know what I'm saying? My, my knowledge of line stuff is not. I should know not this. Very... Let's we'll, we'll call him an expo. Okay. And he's looking there. He's also the manager of the place. And he's like, everyone's looking at me. The waitress is looking at me like, Josh, you fucked this. And he's he's a new chef. And he's trying to, like, make his way at the establishment. Like, wow, Josh, you're trying to fuck me here because I'm new. And well, I, I guess, was he a sous chef? No. No, no, no. He was a head chef. We just okay, hired okay. him. We just hired him. And I had been there for a long time. He's like, you're mad that you're not in this situation. I'm like, man, I don't want to be a head chef. Get the fuck out of here. But he flips out, throws the rice pot. And we almost get into this like a physical art altercation. Like he comes at me in a corner. He's like furious because the whole service is done now, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, you can't do anything. Right. And uh, so the, the manager goes out. He buys shots for everybody. And it's like uh, we, he kind of like finessed it into like it's an anniversary. And he did a speech. And then we had another 30 minutes. We cooked the rice. But he wouldn't talk to me for days, weeks, almost a month, I swear. And you prep throughout the day. You're with this guy every day, five, six days a week. Would not talk to me. And finally, he goes back and he finds the wrapper for that rice. And he's like, Joss, oh, my God. It's one to like one and a half because it's special Thai rice. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I almost lost my job. And he held that grudge for so long. This is like three weeks after the fact. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, they're fucking crazy. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, I know. I did yeah. five years time in that. Five years time? Yes. I like how you say it like it's a, like a prison yeah. sentence. Yeah, man. I, I did five at a spot down the corner. <laughs> no protective custody or nothing. <laughs> um, where'd you go? What, what, uh, what restaurant? Um, well, I, I went to culinary school at the Arts Institute, and then I did a um, sort of, I did the business program and culinary at the same time. Okay. And then I, I worked at like quite a few different places. There used to be this little vegan bakery in kits called Edible Flowers. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm. That was like the main place I did wedding cakes, and then I did them on my own for a while. Sweet. And Sweet. I worked with some pretty amazing chefs like chef karen who just opened soil on main street okay. and i love these names yeah she she used to be the head chef at um oh my goodness it's slipping my mind i worked there too this is terrible <laughs> it's all good. at gray's 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 was a, a vegan restaurant on fraser street years ago when it wasn't like a super trendy thing to be plant-based grazes in cows not yeah. 50 shades no yeah Big grazes difference. in cows not 50 shades maybe let's go to graze tonight you did. oh man <laughs> <laughs> yes she owns a uh, like a vegan cheese company as well that's you would Sweet. not know that it's vegan it's crazy. how do you make vegan cheese um cultured cashews and cultured 
different kinds of coconut. Doesn't make any sense. She's like a food scientist. It's crazy. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. So you took that. Uh, so you're running the culinary section of yeah, avocado toast now. Definitely. Yeah. What? I have like quite a few connections in the industry. I'm sure you do. Still, so what is, yeah. what is, when I, f- like, I'm trying to give listeners a little bit of context here. Like, go, first off, where can we find the magazine? So you can order on our website. Yes. Um, and we will be in five different stores locally. Okay. And then hopefully a couple in Toronto and a couple of in, in Montreal for our next issue. Badass. I love yeah. it. I love physicals. Um, I don't know why I do. I just, there's something about it, like just feeling it, reading it, having it, mm. like underneath the coffee table, there's something There's to a it. need for like tangible goods now. I want to pick things up. Yeah, definitely. I like, like swiping is cool, but uh, you know, I'll save that for Tinder. So, you know, like it's just different. It's a different <laughs> thing. Um, I don't want to swipe magazines. So how do you, you are now in a world that's ultra competitive in terms mm. of publications, blogs, media companies the list goes on and on and on. Uh, you're also in a world of disappearing physical assets. Yes. Things are going online. Things are digital. You are ty- kind of taking a brick and mortar approach to your business. A lot of publications are just online uh, or they'll just be newsletters or they'll be, it's all digital, Definitely. right? They won't actually make physical print. How do you expect to, you know, make a profitable business model off of physical print? And your prints are not, let me get this out of the way for someone who hasn't picked up a, a piece or a, a natural mag. They're not shit. They're not glossy bullshit. No, they're like... They're high quality. That, that must paper. cost you. Yeah, for sure. Right. I want it to, to be more like a book than like a magazine that you would see in the checkout. Mm. Um, I think we actually came at, like went into print at a really good time um, just because... With the decline of Facebook, like Facebook's not very popular anymore. And that was our main source of sharing articles other than Twitter. So because that is declining and Facebook Mm -hmm. stocks are going down and everything, um, it's sort of reshaped online articles. So now as a writer, I do freelance stuff as well. As a writer, you get paid less now to do online articles than you do in print. Wow. So I think that to me, like coming at it from a writer's perspective, I kind of saw that shift happen in like the past year, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whereas before you would get paid more for Mm -hmm. online stuff. Um, And then I think also when you look at the music industry, records are becoming popular again. Totally. And I think people just want to have some sort of tangible proof of what they bought Mm -hmm. just because everything's so disposable Digital and, and yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. still though your price point right here is 1750 so like yeah. essentially 20 bucks yeah. right um <laughs> which pro- is significantly lower than most print so most print of our size would actually be going anywhere from 30 to 45 dollars what yeah yeah, it's atrocious. So, so we're we're actually like quite under the underpriced. Yeah, you're totally underpriced. Yeah, that's crazy. What? Where have I been? Sorry. I, the, I'm <laughs> the reason why we can afford to do it though is because we're doing everything ourselves. So instead totally. of using a distribution company, instead of using um, like having 
an outsourced PR company and mm-hmm. all these things. Since we do it all in house, um, we don't have that big of an that overhead, cost, yeah. and we're shipping directly from printers right to people's Amazing. homes. Amazing! Wow. So you're vertically integrated, which you know, totally. You can then charge what you charge and not lose on it. Who the hell is selling a forty dollar magazine? I feel so ignorant oh, right now. It it it's a thing for sure. A lot of fashion really? magazines, definitely. Like things that I mean, this would be like a higher caliber, obviously, than like. I don't want to say Vogue is in high caliber because I think it's it's it's. Hey man, it's a po- <laughs> listen. On, listen, podcast ruling one hundred and one. It's 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 a free for all. Yeah, it's a free for all. You can say yeah. Anybody can get it. Well, I would say like Vogue in terms of publications and quality would be more of at an entry level, mm-hmm. and there's a a lot of other um, like higher caliber boutique magazines that would be more at the. 40 45 dollar range wild who the okay (laughs) moving on and again like these these end up being more like a coffee table piece because it's like they're they're a beautiful book it's something that is meant to maybe go on a bookshelf or be displayed for like the Mm -hmm. visual aesthetic as Mm -hmm. well as the content okay so referencing back to the comos valley collective magazine that i because that's just my only point of reference because this is not you know I'm a dumbass, but um, that's ignorant. And their model is they will sell to um, brick and mortar spots for one dollar a magazine. Oh, amazing! One dollar mag. Um, they are they are vertically integrated as well, so they make it all. At, I'm assuming that's their cost. I, I have no idea. Um, I just know that they print and they're made in the Comox Valley, so that's why I'm assuming they're vertically integrated. I hope it could be full of shit. I don't think you can Google that one though. Um, <laughs> And their business model is they'll mail it to you for a dollar, um, and I think they'll even pay for shipping. Might be full of shit on that one too. Wow, okay. But it's just like they just want to get it out there. Yeah. And definitely. so that's that's one that's one business model. What was your business model from again, like from a revenue standpoint? How are you going to make money on this thing? Um. So I I, I won't share our exact sure. like ev- everything, but yeah. um. We're in terms of, in terms of like how we're doing with like, what we're making with sales, we're doing very well. Sure. Like it's give not, me the numbers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not that part isn't of concern, um, especially because we have a huge. It's not of concern, Josh. No, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not 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 of concern for you, but like for us, be, um, just because the fashion section, fashion ads for a double page ad can run anywhere from like. 10 to $75,000 for a double page spread. Okay. I mean, obviously like this, like that. Would, what? Yeah. No, f- the fashion industry is huge. Advertisement is huge. Um, and there's a lot of, I mean, we're, we're not at that range for sure, but we're still able to supplement. Yeah. Pretty much all of our like we've already broken even as a magazine. Wow. And we're, we haven't been around for a year. I didn't want to ask that pointed question. Isn't like how much money did you lose off the back? But like <laughs> I was really scared. I was really scared. Don't worry about it. It's like looking at my savings and like oh god, what did I do? Yikes. No, we bro- we broke even, which was wow. really nice. That's super impressive. I was impressive. not expecting that. Um, I think also having um my business background being food generally, um in that industry like it's a you're 
probably going to fail. Like <laughs> 95%. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think that having that business knowledge really helped me with something like this because mm. it's a, like way easier to do well. How the hell did you, how did, how did you break even? That's crazy to me. Ads. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lowering promises, overhead. Promises for, for campaigns, for yeah. I, like offering like lower advertisement for future issues mm-hmm. and having that supplement the first few issues. Mm-hmm. What What's the, what is this, Brie? Just a countdown, whatever. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I like it. Um, I thought I thought you had a point to make. Like, Josh, you've been talking about stupid shit for five minutes now. Can you please get on to something? <laughs> Don't worry, I got you, Bree. Um, so, what do you look for now in uh, a writer or a contributor or a staff member that's really putting in the content towards your publication? Like, anyone can write. Very few people can write well. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. It- as well as avocado toast, I edit for Beetroot Magazine, mm-hmm. um, which is a fairly recent thing. But I think that has taught me a lot about writing, more so than just me writing, editing other people's work. Um, yeah, there there's a lot of people interested in writing, but I I would say it's yeah, it is definitely really hard to find people who mm. have a unique voice um, mm. and unique perspective on things i think um the easiest way is to find people who are just doing cool things and helping them learn how to write like if somebody has the drive and they're doing interesting things and they have an interesting perspective i feel like generally that person has a good chance of becoming a good writer. Ooh, so vague. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. know it's 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 weird. I feel like I I've, I've been able to to see things in certain people people who have good storytelling mm-hmm. abilities. Mm-hmm. Generally, even if they're not um, writers now, I feel like could be writers. What makes a good storyteller? Um, you have to be engaging and know when when to when not to over describe things and mm. when um you have something that would be a selling point mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you need to sell <laughs> and over describe roger that yes yeah. <laughs> it's luscious and it's silky and it's smooth exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. for sure very very interesting what, what's your when did you start writing when how did this um well i think when did that become a medium for you like professionally or just I've always been interested in writing Mm. I used to when I was a kid we had a a typewriter I think it was like my my either like my mom's or my grandma's I don't really know and I used to like when I was mad every once in a while be like I'm going to write my book and like just like as a kid i don't know what that i was like i'll show you (laughs) i'm gonna write a i don't know what that was but no i think that and then i my parents had me in writing classes Mm. like mostly like poetry things and creative writing Mm -hmm. as a kid so Mm -hmm. i yeah you just took to it yeah definitely. okay so professionally when did you jump in um i got well i got the first thing my first 
piece published maybe four years ago. That seems like a short time. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty impressive. Four years ago, your first piece of published writing to now having your own magazine and, cu- and curating. I feel like if I if I tell you this, it's gonna be even scarier. Oh shit! If uh, like I start the first time I was actually on like a contributing list for a publication was about a year and a half ago. She's a fraud. That's all there is to it. <laughs> Either she's a fraud or she's a genius. One of the two. Shit, a year and a half ago. That's 18 months ago. That's not that many days. No. I'm not, I don't do the math, but that's not a lot of days. That's crazy. Where, where, where was your first uh, first listing as a contributor? Um, Beetroot. Oh, yes. I see how this went. Got you. What was your first article? Uh, I used to, So I, I started out doing music reviews. Sweet. Concert reviews. So concert I, reviews? Yeah. So I, I would um, sort of get this like big list of shows and choose a show, go to the show for free, and then do a review on what I thought the show was like. And that got you published? Yep. Wild. That's crazy. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I think <laughs> of, when I think of the ability to get published and like get to a certain level, it, I feel like it has to be some deep, insightful, and, and thought-provoking, and turning different corners, and, and just uh, a maze, and a grapevine of... Oh, there was a lot of me applying to magazines. Yeah. Like, that, that whole time up until then, I was applying to things, like, weekly. Wow. A lot of silence. And then it's like, you get in, and then you start to build a portfolio, and then... So what's your what's your what's your dream? What's your A list I want to write for this mag? Oh, I don't know. Oh, come on. Well, I I right now I'm I'm writing for Red Bull and Red Bull Records, which has been super fun. I have lots of stuff planned with them for the following like okay. for, yeah, yeah, the coming months. Yeah, yeah, um yeah. A lot of sort of focused pieces on music, particularly in like the Vancouver music scene. Sweet. And sort of featuring underdogs in music. I love it. Yeah. And I they're they're a super progressive publication and I love what they stand for. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've been doing stuff for them. Um, Beatroot, obviously. Yeah. I'm the editor for um, the Grassifieds column, which is a cannabis and holistic health column. Hello. Yes. Let's talk about I, weed. <laughs> I was just at the Lyft Expo yes. this past weekend. How was that? It was very good. Not bad, eh? Yes. Yeah. What did it smell like? Just kidding. There was no... There was no consumption? No consumption of anything. What? No, it was all very, like, very professional. A lot of, um, yeah, a lot of, like, lighting companies, a lot of seed companies. I okay. talked to... Um, the CEO of Mother, which is this Canada's first um, cannabis nursery. Hmm. So people in the industry and I'm pretty sure people with with um, medical licenses can go into their nursery and purchase cannabis plants just like you would at like a regular nursery. Hmm. They used to sell like mint yeah before yeah yeah no no for sure (laughs) yeah no it's it's it was very interesting super informative and i got to do a few interviews with a few different growers as well like with seven acres and seven acres why does it sound like a winery i know right (laughs) yeah seven acres is a winery name but yeah 
They're they're part of the Supreme Cannabis group, I think. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Badass. I like it. Um, yeah. From a from a, a writer's perspective, mm-hmm. what do you think the narrative of cannabis is and and what's the story of cannabis in the last four, five, six years as we've kind of like gone out of a gray zone and we've kind of, it's become mm-hmm. legal now and maybe there's less stigma around it. What's the narrative of cannabis today? Um, I think right now the main issue is um, all these people who've really been the foundational voices in the cannabis movement are being pushed out. Um, and there seems to be like a clear shift of new people coming in who maybe weren't 100% supportive of the the cannabis movement before, but they're mm. now that it's legal coming Profitable. in. And yeah. yeah, so that seems to be, be a huge thing. Um, I spoke with, I guess maybe three or four months ago, Jody Emery. And we had really had smoke, like so. had a very good good long chat about it. Um, I know she's she's been in the cannabis industry okay. for years, and we talked about her incarceration and oh my god, yeah, yeah, it was very wow. very very intense. Um, yeah, so I've I've gotten to speak with a lot of like big figureheads mm-hmm. in the industry which has been very eye opening. But yeah. Yeah. What's their, what's their insights on it today? Like uh, there's a, uh, we have uh, we have a lot of ties and, and we'll have Spencer from THC Canada on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, in the coming month, hopefully here. Amazing. Um, Spencer's awesome. We work with him a lot behind the scenes. Sapphire digital does a lot of um, content and consulting for different cannabis brands and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is not an ad. Um, <laughs> uh, or it should be. I think, I think I should probably work with this guy for yeah. Yeah. the column. I don't know. No, just kidding. Um, but Spencer is uh, one of the guys that has very much played by the rules mm-hmm. and done exactly what the legal system and what legislation and what municipal and provincial and fe- federal governments want um, in hopes of kind of, you know, being one of the first to actually get a license in BC. There's, I think there's two licenses right now for dispensaries. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, actually, fact check me on that one, Bree. I'm definitely wrong. <laughs> um, I know there's a lot of uh, dispensaries open and in the gray zone. How How do we get from this spot where for instance when i was always told cannabis is illegal weed is illegal this is an illegal Mm. thing and now average people are going and buying government product and there's these people that have had these dispensaries in this gray zone for a couple of years now and have been growing weed you know for a long time and suddenly don't have their hand in on the profits is there a story to be told there at all or well i think right now um there is there's huge conversation about how the government and how like associated institutions are able to keep that whole like cannabis is terrible right. and like the whole pretty much going off of the war on drugs. You know what Super I mean? Crazy. How like they need to justify years and years and years of putting people in prisons for years marijuana. Of, yeah, of separating families, of denying children and um like people who are severely ill medication. So they're they're now having to justify why they've been doing this and 
the tough regulations during legalization are all because of because that. of that definitely Very interesting i didn't know that yeah mm. well, i think yeah i think at least that's what i've been hearing from people in the industry and what i've sort of noticed from speaking with people mm-hmm. um i think that is super clear with the packaging i don't know if you've seen the new packaging i have not no i have no idea so at the expos actually the first time i saw it in person i'd seen it online um Crazy. so different suppliers have the choice of color so it's actually um more regulated in terms of design than tobacco what the heck so Bree, show me some legal weed yeah please. so it's it'll be either <laughs> in blue packaging yellow packaging green i think i know they were on the fence about a red as well but i think it might just be those three okay um so there's no branding allowed and there there'll be like a tiny tiny logo of whatever company ridiculous um but the and the packaging it's over packaged so you have um kind of like you would buy like tylenol or something like that Mm. so it's in the plastic yeah like the hard shell case with paper over top of it so silly so such an environmental issue too yeah, yeah. it's a huge environmental issue and it's oh, it's here we go. super okay yeah so as you can see it's so you have the, the little plastic container that goes in the paper container and then depending on how they're shipping it they might have to shrink wrap it as well unreal um the other issue is the excise tax which um, so the, that little thing that looks almost like a stamp on cigarettes, it's the excise tax. So it's, it's like an excise stamp. Um, it tells you that the tax for the product has been paid for by the, dis- either the distributor or the company. So you'll see it on cigarettes. It'll have like a Canada flag on it. Okay. Um, that is actually doesn't come with adhesive so companies have to manually put on the excise stamp for every single thing and the packages will come oh yeah you can see it so it's it's that little the thing with the canada yeah yeah okay yeah yeah Yeah, so that's that has to be manually stuck on there's no machines that are compatible with this yet so you're having big giant rooms of people manually putting glue on and then sticking it onto this the paper further driving down profit margins yeah yeah so there the government has really done a good job at detouring companies wow and it's like if you have to have this huge manual physical labor obviously you have to have a a large amount of money so companies that maybe were more mom and pops yeah, even if they were cap. yeah even if they were playing by the rules they're not going to have the man they're not going to be able to, to compete no god so they're forming a monopoly a hundred percent we live in a really weird world yeah we live in a really well we live in this odd gray space between i mean it's keynesian theory and you know we are we have socialists, you know, aspects and we have capitalist aspects and there's this weird push and pull between the two. And, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of which side of the fence that you sit on, you have to agree that there is a capitalist side that will give light to the ability of mom and pop stores to be able to compete totally. in the market. Right. Yeah, definitely. Well, the whole idea of that would be is if you work hard, you 
will gain succeed. something. Or you'll gain <laughs> a revenue or a exactly. market share or something. Yeah. So that to me is, is super disheartening. Mm-hmm. But makes for a great story. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I I left that conference with, with a list of so many stories and so many companies I want to work with. Mm-hmm. So what's your... What's your life like as a writer? Like, what I have no... Like, I, if you're uh, an insurance broker, I know what your life is like. Yeah. If you're a personal trainer, I know what your life is like. I have no fucking clue what your life is like. <laughs> um, I think it's it's pretty cr- it's pretty crazy sometimes. Yeah, I can believe um, it. It's very... Yeah, journalism is, is can be very intense. Um, it's also very last minute. It's very, you have to be able to just go. Like yeah. if somebody calls you and they're like, hey, I have a lead on this story. Um, I'd really like you to cover it. Can you be at this place in an hour? Yeah. If it's a good story. Yes. You're, yes, I will be there in an hour. I'm calling the taxi right now. Um, yeah, so it's. In that respect, it can be a little bit frustrating. I still have a day job. What? What do you do? I, I work as a reproduction painter. So I work for an artist and I reproduce his work. It's it, it's a very, like, it, it's an unusual job. What? Yes. Okay. okay, 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 okay <laughs> fuck. You are so confusing. I... I, I <laughs> you know a lot of people that we have on the podcast like i'm able to be like oh, okay i kind of see where you're coming from and then yeah. you just hit me with all this like out of left field shit like oh i reproduce hand-painted stuff what does that mean what does that mean what sorry excuse me i well i work for i i have i've signed an nda so i can't i can't like go into like super, let's not break let's not break any contracts super yeah detail about but it, on the but surface I, I work for an artist um like a he, he's like a, a f- no names don't worry about it artist. sure yep and I reproduce his work. So I sit in a studio and I paint. Like acrylic paint. So correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm like a creative person in so many different different ways. I, I can't I've never been able to do just one thing. It's I noticed that, which makes you <laughs> very good for the job. Um, you know at being a chief editor? Editor in chief, yeah. Editor in chief. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, it's all the same. Um <laughs> Yeah. So let me just get this straight, though. So genius artist <laughs> sits there and he paints his work, right? Acrylic. You sit beside him and you Something paint the same like thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm just going to wrap my head around that. That's <laughs> fucking crazy. Okay. So, and and then he market says, okay, you know what? You don't have, don't go into it. You got an NDA. Let's uh, we'll, we'll move on here. But that's super wild. So you you are in incredibly creatively gifted if you can do that math oh that's fine you're not a math person math is math <laughs> science is tra- no math is trash <laughs> language communication um 100 what do you think about the whole freedom of expression thing like that with this rise of social media everyone mm. now has a voice and i say everyone can be a writer not everyone can be a good writer there's a lot of shitty writers out there um and there's a lot of people with voices that and I don't, this is like not a popular opinion, but maybe shouldn't have voices yet. Oh, I... You know what I'm saying? Like you need to develop your voice. I, yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend about the whole um, Instagram poet Oh, I love it. Thing, God damn it. Yes. Uh, which, which like bothers me so much. Like... Talk it. Talk about it. Oh, man. <laughs> like when you... When you have, I mean, generally they're women who will have like just like a blank, it'll be like a blank square on their Instagram with like a 
two sentence poem in quotations poem. It's a haiku. Haiku. It's I don't know. It's I don't know what this is, and I I know Rupi Kerr started it, and it's it's just it's not for me. What's your What's your problem with it? I just. So what? Like they want the to go co- up and what put it, some words together. It? It's like what, what it like I don't I just don't understand. Like it's I just art. feel like it lacks depth and Substance. it's it's become sort of like another form of a visual aesthetic See, that says yeah. I am a I am a writer, I'm a poet without ha- actually having to like dig inside the yourself work. and like do the work and I couldn't agree more. There's a difference between there's two types. There's there's two types of people slash artists. Like there's the artist that goes in and finds, creates, manipulates, and then puts passion and emotion on a page mm-hmm. or on a canvas or in a sculpture or whatever it may be. Like totally. again, what's the definition of art? The definition of art is to evoke emotion within other people. There is substance and purpose and intention. Mm-hmm. with that art and that intention may not even have a direction but it's still purpose and it's still intention and then there's that fucking guy that goes on instagram and takes a picture of you know uh one single plastic green water bottle oh, man. and talks about three lines of how the cup is half full or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. of that nature like something super cliche like no no, no. hold up for a second <laughs> You just want fucking attention. That's what you want. You are just trying to craft an identity. Oh, hold up. I mm-hmm. see what this is. Someone never picked you in gym class. That's what this is. <laughs> That's what this is surfacing right now. You just want that attention and that identity that you're lacking. And so you're going to craft that as art. And that's totally. why I have a huge problem with a lot of creatives. I fucking love creatives. Creatives are the best people on this planet. Sorry, nerds. But like they are. The way they express themselves and see the word world and craft perspective and experience into other forms of experience like that is literally alchemy mm-hmm. people don't understand that's alchemy you're taking I think lead the best the best way to describe this is i there's a, a comedian who also has a podcast that i love that? her name's amanda seals seals she, yeah she has a, a podcast called i think it's called small doses okay and um she labels herself as a multi-hyphenite which i totally re- resonate with so multi-hyphenite is essentially um you are a person who it shouldn't be um, confused with a jack of all trades, master of none situation. It's it's quite the opposite. It's somebody who has sort of a direction of something, like say they have a theme or or whatever, and they explore that theme through many different facets. Um, generally, it would be somebody who I I guess yeah, like in her case. She's a comedian, she's also a writer, and she's a visual artist. I think she does something else, too. Multi-hyphenite? Yeah, so it, it means you, you, like, generally it's, like, career. Did you make that up? No, I did I'm not. just kidding. I mean, I, I, I'm i just Amanda Seals. Yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> no, 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 no. Shout out to her. Shout out to her. Yeah, Shout out to yeah, her. totally. Yeah. Um, but she, she says that there's other things she could add onto her list of, of things that she feels like she's trying to master, Yeah. but those aren't part of the things she does. Those are the things she dabbles in. So she's not like locking them onto her identity. Like I'm a painter, I'm a writer. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's, that's sort of like the, the issue with, with like the Instagram poets and the Instagram 
it's like they're it's like okay no 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 you dabble in that like people like I didn't call myself a writer until I like I had things published for like a year and I was like okay now I feel like I'm a writer I just changed my um Instagram to a business profile and I'm now calling myself a journalist that was a big thing I saw that yeah that was a big thing I I I, I rolled my eyes when I saw I'm sorry (laughs) that was so silly and someone I don't know if I should do this yet because I feel like I'm not but that's the thing it's like I want to be careful it's like am I doing this or am I dabbling in this Bro, but now I feel bro, now I'm in it, the, so I can say <laughs> I didn't know anything else other than you. You were you were avocado toast girl. You yeah, you yeah. were literally the epitome of like whatever. <laughs> I'm done with you. Um, yes, of course you should fucking be a journalist. Okay, whatever. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> multi hyphenate, multi hyphenate, right? Yeah. Is that correct? Cool. I'm gonna look into that term. Like similar to like if you're like a multidisciplinary artist, but multi hyphenate can do things other than art. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I definitely, I really like that. Amanda Seals, I'll check her out. I do, like, people always are like, why are you writing things down? I actually, like, this shit is enticing to me. I do take notes. I do follow up on the stuff. Like, that's that's super cool. Uh, multi-hyphenate. I like that concept a lot because I don't, I'm a person that's against ideologies. Mm-hmm. I think ideologies are pretty dangerous and can be pretty malevolent um and evil in a lot of ways and and that's on a macro on a micro you know for instance i think in my instagram bio i say something along the lines of like i do stuff and i like things or like something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah which is totally. like dude i don't know i'm 22 years old i have no idea which still blows my mind <laughs> oh what do you mean that you're 22 it's crazy oh no 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 uh, please uh i'm I'm just figuring it out. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah, I just try to hold myself in a way that I won't. I just try to, you know, it, when you look back to yourself, like yourself at 22, you probably look back at yourself when you're 22 and you're like, uh, did I? So I'm just, my only goal is just to look at my, you know, future self. So mm-hmm. my future self can look back at my present self and be like, yeah, he didn't have it figured out, but at least he wasn't a total idiot. Oh, you know? yeah. No, no, totally. So. And I feel like people who are are okay with the idea of arrival and arriving at their destination, I think, miss out on things in life. There's I, if you if you think that you can arrive, then sorry, that's the end. <laughs> when you think you've end. arrived, that's the end. You know. Mm-hmm. I when you start, if you when you get over the hump of ignorance, mm-hmm. you know, like like I that's a hard hump to get over and then you just get to the spot being on this podcast taught me so much you're just like wow so many people know so much in such depth about so many topics and i don't know anything or like if i like zoom out like i'm totally one of those guys that just extrapolates everything so like if we look i've been on this earth for 22 years so i'm born in 96 i and like in literally a year ago i thought i knew more than half of the humans on this earth i was like oh wait the society's going in this way but we should really go this way and i know better for these reasons which is like so fugazi and, and false it's false confidence right and it's, so if we extrapolate that out to the larger narrative of i'm here for 22 years so i think i know more than what humans and civilization have compiled over thousands of years mm-hmm. because i'm just at the 
furthest edge of time to where we've currently progressed and I suddenly have this power. Like, no, relax. There's people, you're just at the starting point. Like, you're just like, every day is just the starting point. It's the starting point. It's the starting point. Tomorrow is the starting point. Like, I didn't know anything. I try to, when I sit down with a guest, it's like, you know, I don't know anything at the start of the podcast and I'll know a little something at the end of the podcast. And hopefully if I just do that over, 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 over again, then maybe at 60 or 70 or 80 or hundred, you know, I'll have some knowledge to pass on to the next guy that's, that's trying to figure the shit out. But I say that to tie it in to say, you're a super young editor in chief, super young, oh, yeah, no, it's- beyond young. Generally, like generally I would have to wait till I at like at least 30 maybe 35 i was thinking like 40 50 i don't know why i had that in my mind but i i do um and you're 35 would be very young that's what still. i yeah so you're you're creating narratives at such a young age is, is that a sense of responsibility you know what i mean yeah no it's it's a little bit it it can be a little bit daunting i think yeah yesterday at our meeting i kind of sitting down and having people pitch things to you is that was very crazy to probably me. people that are older than you yeah Sometimes. majority majority of them definitely and and me kind of like yeah that's a really great idea and then kind of some things in my head i i was thinking oh no that's not where like just learning when to say yes when to say no and even though somebody's older who's been somebody who's been in the business longer than you doesn't necessarily it's I know it's and there's a lot of egos in journalism and there's a lot of um it's a huge stigma too because I didn't go to school to be a journalist and I've done really well so far people don't like that people really do not like like that at all um I the project I'm working on right now like i was just working on before i got here is a project for bbc mm. international which is really crazy i did not think that i would be the biggest one of the biggest writing for in the world. yeah i know it's it's a four-part series that oh. should be out in the in the next few months um okay. but i i was kind of i was talking in a group of fellow journalists and there were apparently i don't know some other people who are also journalists who are part of the like academia section of journalism are not very (laughs) what a great group of people (laughs) but i mean like the whole art of journalism is being able to have conversation and, and being able to engage with people for um with the pursuit of learning more and having other people learn more about different experiences and highlighting stories that are of value. So, so it's not a selfish act. No, no, it shouldn't it shouldn't be about the like ivory tower of academia. Oh, but the tower. The, the yeah. tower was so high <laughs> and it is so shiny. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Definitely. Mm. Okay, so tell me about this BBC thing. Um I don't know how much I can I can talk about but whatever you can I'll take the crumbs okay okay um so it is a project that is showcasing the Rocky Mountains 
So Sweet. it's very different from what I usually do, which is generally like music, arts and culture journalism and like yeah. some food stuff. Amazing. But yeah, so it's it's kind of cool because it's international. So I get to and talk about... And a huge about, publication. Yeah, and I get to talk about where I'm from and where I've grown up, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting how did you stumble into that opportunity i was scouted hello oh shit (laughs) damn that's a big difference there people don't realize that man like you can go out and apply a million places and get picked for something which is awesome yeah super awesome to be scouted for something that's big time i've 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 only ever gotten journalism gigs from being scouted i've never I've, oh, no, that's a lie. I did two articles for a publication that I applied for. Everything else has been... I, everything that I've, like, tried to apply for and tried to write for hasn't panned out other than one particular publication. So how did you get yourself in a position for other writers out there, other writers and other creatives out there? How do you put yourself in a position to actually be scouted? That's um, huge. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I think... The stuff that I've done with Red Bull got a lot of buzz. Um, yeah, I did a feature for this band called I Am You Are. I Am You Are. They're they're super awesome. They just did a tour in India. They've they've like toured the whole world. R and B. I Am You Are. This they're really they're super familiar. super chill and like a really really great group of people. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I teamed up with a photographer, a friend of mine, Laura Harvey, who shot for Rolling Stone. Wow. Uh, she shreds magazine, like, cover pieces she shot for. Um, she's also the in-house photographer for Article, the uh, furniture yeah, I know store. Article. Yeah, she's her and another photographer friend, Curdy. They're the two photographers for the whole company just name dropping (laughs) no they're wicked they're awesome damn (laughs) yeah no i i think i'm just super fortunate to be just surrounded by all these really awesome creative people and we all help each other out like there's definitely kind of this we've made this group where if the opportunity arises and we can help each other out we do and i think that's kind of like a really beautiful thing it's not about competition it's about working together that's yeah that's beautiful still you you put you put yourself in two turnkey positions in my opinion you put yourself in a position to be scouted and you put yourself in a position to have those other creatives around you and and, and kind of manifest that and again the resources that come from that how do you how did how did you even get to a situation where you have those type of people around you you know like they're everywhere. Even... Your boyfriend's a creative, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Shout out Tyler. Yes. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As he's editing, the... it never stops. Contrast is off for sure. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I think... I think a lot of it stems from... I, I grew sorry. up in New West. Ty- Tyler's, yeah, si- <laughs> Tyler's sitting in the corner for the listeners that have no clue what just went on. He's giving me shit. And I'm giving him shit right back. Sorry. No worries. No, I, I grew up in the suburbs. So I, I grew up in New West. Yep. Um, and like New West now, there's a bit more going on. But when I was there, there was nothing. 
So I think anyone who is mildly creative got really creative because that's all you had to do. Mm, the boredom factor. Yes. Yeah. So I know like there's lots of lots of bands, lots of directors. Sweet. Um, like even just thinking of people in my like creative circle that I grew up with in high school and stuff who have like are doing really well. Casey Lum. He's a, a director in the city. He just like he shot a huge like jarm cigarette ad a little while ago and Sweet. Which he was a producer for and like doing videos for people like Felix Cartel, like you know how many names I'm writing down right now? It's crazy. <laughs> lots of, lots of, he's, he's a super sweet guy. And then, and then, yeah, I know like lots of bands, lots of, lots of people seem to be coming from Gavin Matz. Gavin Matz from New West? Yeah. Funny as hell, Gavin, this is the third <laughs> freaking time we're chopping this up and I'm sending it to him. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm headhunting this guy. And then, and then who else? Gracie Hughes. Gracie Hughes is on Funny or Die. What? Yeah, lots Gracie. of... Gracie. Gracie Hughes. Yeah, she, I think she she just moved to California. Yeah, they all moved to LA. Right before I want to get on this podcast, they all moved to LA. <laughs> Gavin, Matts, and Gracie. Seriously. Yeah. No, there's... There's, there's yeah, a I bunch of them. Ga- Gavin did grade 12 with me. I think he was at... What high school? At Caribou before or something like that. Joey Lopez, who's going to be famous. He went right, to Caribou. Right, right. Yeah, our friend with the um, famous name. Joey Lopez. Yeah, no, there's, there's like, I could, I could write like a huge list of people, creative people who were doing like super, super well. So you came up in an environment that cultivated creative people and Definitely. in turn that kind of sharpened and, and gave stimulated creative juices and then yeah. you all kind of, the cream obviously rises to the top. What, uh, what's your heritage? What do your parents do? How this, like, what was the expectation of you? How did you get this gene in here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. What's the code? Well, my my dad is from Kenya, so I'm half Kenyan. I'm like super super light skinned black girl, like very. Yeah. I know. <laughs> my hair is also like very straight right now. <laughs> if you saw the fro, you'd get it. But <laughs> the, the most interesting woman in the world. Yeah. Okay. So I think like Kenyan culture is just like super artistic super creative everything's about music dance i was put in dance super young like i was taking music classes when i was two years old like crazy things like that so my i think my parents threw me into it super young Mm. um yeah i think it, it started with with music wow definitely and then writing music and writing poetry. I did slam for a while. My, slam poetry is awesome. Which I could never, I could not do it now. No? But I, no. No? Okay. All right. <laughs> no, no. I think it's awesome though. Yeah. And my, my mom's a Newfoundlander. So I have like the la- two loudest, like if you ever hear a Kenyan person talk, like, oh my goodness. Like a, a Newfoundlander. And a Kenyan. Kenyan. It's like, there, I had no chance. Of <laughs> but on my mom's side, my like my mom took some journalism classes in university. Hmm. And she's like a very, I don't know, like she was never a journalist, but she, both my parents are like quite like investigative. Like if something's right. going on, they're, yeah, yeah, totally. Very interesting. I love the... 
I love the wave that you're on and the, the direction. And I'm sure that your parents had something to do with it. And I'm, you know, nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. We can go into the DNA. That's all very interesting. But at the end of the day, I don't, I mean, I care, but what matters is that you're here now doing what you're doing. Totally. That, that's uh, very much a big proponent of the now. Um, and when we talk about the now, what is, what's going to come out in the next edition? of avocado toast what's important to you now what type of issues are you tackling what's on like the tip of your mind what are things that you want to write about and things that you want to put towards the public is there anything you can kind of give us a little teaser on yeah my big project that i'm working on right now is a piece about hogan's alley hogan's alley yes um because my man hogan has an alley <laughs> I don't know. I'm from the island. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, no. It's it's actually it's something that a lot of Vancouverites don't know about. Um, it used to be the black community that existed on just the edge of Chinatown. Okay. Um, and actually going into a little bit of where Chinatown exists now. Mm. Um, basically, it was it was like the downtown, the hub for for music and arts through lots of jazz clubs. No way. Um, yeah, it was it was a huge, huge center of Vancouver. Um, and a lot of the sort of like more wealthier business people had just invested in the Granville Strip. Mm. And there was sort of this um, divide of where, where people should be spending their money. Like they didn't want them to be spending their money in the black community. They wanted to be spending their money in like what was supposed to be downtown and like what right. the mayor wanted to be downtown. What the whites wanted to be downtown. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So um, basically where the viaducts now exist just outside of Chinatown mm -hmm. are where the black community was. So, um, yeah, Jimi Hendrix's grandma's house still exists oh my gosh. there. Um, oh. And, yeah, a bunch of big jazz people used to live in the neighborhood. And they were campaigning to build the viaducts over the black community for a while and said that it was the most viable place to put them um, to slow down congestion when there wasn't even really that much congestion for traffic at that time um so what ended up happening is the whole community was bulldozed um when? some people didn't um oh i don't want to be wrong give you the wrong date uh, again have you to... have a license to be wrong on this thing <laughs> we're Ish. we're talking like like the like beginnings of hollywood because basically Hollywood wouldn't be as big as it is now had the black community here not been destroyed. Wow. So it's like, it's a very big story that people are I've not. I've never heard about. Yeah, yeah. So the jazz, the whole, so everything was bulldozed. Some people had homes bulldozed with all their things inside with like little to no warning. Um, and then got on the train and the first stop was Seattle. So that's a huge Seattle reason a why huge, Seattle yeah. has a huge black community is because of the viaducts being Unreal. bulldozed. So I saw like a very small snippet of something years ago. Um, I don't know if it was like, it was on like Shaw public television and it was like a, like, <laughs> 
like 30 second blurb and I was like what what that that's just like I've never heard of this before 30 seconds I feel like it needs more than that Hmm. so I I got in touch with the Vancouver archives and started kind of oh boy just like digging into what actually happened and I'm working with a photography uh friend of mine Brian Benwick who's from South Africa he's awesome super cool um and he's been doing some stuff with avocado toast actually uh he did a couple of editorial shoots for the first issue um but he he definitely has like a a journalistic mind so i think it'll it'll be really great um yeah definitely so Mm -hmm. we have an interview planned with somebody who used to live in the community as a child wow so that'll be really that's really amazing. Awesome. So the placement of this viaduct and the bulldozing in the community, how much of that is strategic economic planning and how much of that is just systemic racism in your opinion? I would say most of it is systemic racism. That's from crazy. what I found. Like there were many other options that they could have definitely saw through <laughs> so, you which know, is it, really yeah. terrible because then when you look at the existing black community now where is it where does it have a home it doesn't have, doesn't have a, home. a home that's terrible you know it's so it's such a it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around mm-hmm. because number one i come from an all-white island yeah community where racism racism was just a thing on the tv mm-hmm. and still i mean even you know being born in the 90s it was very hard for me to even grasp the concept and it was just i i was as much as i was born in an all-white community it's extremely diverse in terms of like views and acceptance and very oh, alternative totally. like like all the things that we're fighting now like in terms of like racism or sexism or gender diversity and all these things where I come from are just societal norms. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, wait, what, what, uh, why are we talking about this? And oh, like, it was a thing where I was like, wait, wait, hold, hold up. Why is this even a discussion? Like, this is not something I had never even thought about this mm-hmm. until the media put this in my mind and put this, this concept of, oh, no, we're still fighting it. And it's not to say that it's not real, because it is. Totally. Right? It's, it's 100% real, but I wasn't even aware of it in such a way. And then that media starts to form a narrative in my mind, right? Mm-hmm. Which then I have to break through experiences. Totally. Now, these experiences are super tough to get. It's how do I experience racism as a white male? Very hard. It's very hard. Um, and how do I learn to contextualize the racism that my race puts onto other races now through this podcast and through, you know, basketball and, and different ways I've been able to do that. I, you know, I actually, I had an experience in Haiti. Uh, we go down to Haiti, uh, once every year, once every two years, my uncle has an orphanage, orphanage down there, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I went down there for the first time like in 2016 and, we would ride on the back of these tap taps, these like public, you know, like buses essentially, just like trucks with right. tons of people on them, try to get to town to town. And we would do that because we didn't want to hire a private vehicle because that costs money and then that's donated money that we're using on transportation, yada, whatever. Mm-hmm. The point is, we're on the back of these tuk tuks, um, 
and you you don't want to go inside of them because like you get pickpocketed and you don't want to go in the middle because it's too crowded and sweaty and so you have to go on the top you don't want to go on the top because if you go on the top you're like you'll go down the street in the community and everyone on the side of the community will go like blah 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 meaning white 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 like yo mom because they've never seen a white person right yeah yeah and so that was the first and we like we get stuff thrown at us and whatnot because we're either christian missionaries which i'm not mm-hmm. or slave owners because that was not that long ago in haiti yeah and that was the first time where i was like oh like i wasn't mad i was just like i know i get it like i i get it oh totally. I, I get it. i was like oh this is what hatred feels like because it's like deep rooted hatred Mm -hmm. now it's inverse and i'm like fuck i can't i can't even be mad at you like I, yeah yeah totally but it was the first time i ever had any experience like that at all and because of that experience i was able i I can put everything else in context Mm -hmm. but the problem and the reason why i even tell that story is that most people consuming media don't have context and that media is providing context totally which oftentimes is a false narrative, in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong, but so many publications are left-leaning or right-leaning. That where's the mm-hmm. publication that's just a publication? And it just houses many different voices. Exactly. Does that yeah. exist? I don't know. No, it's it's tricky for sure. I think I may have like a little bit of a unique experience, like growing up with a black dad and a white yeah. mom, because I've seen both both sides of the situation um like me being like i i get like super dark in the summer but like usually i'm like pretty like light skin you're a little pasty yeah exactly yeah no but like going places with my dad my dad's super dark like and just seeing how people react differently like with my dad than people would react differently with my mom like Mm -hmm. as a young kid Mm -hmm. i was like made very aware of the situation for sure yeah people always thinking we're adopted oh my god like doesn't matter what parent you're with you definitely have to be adopted (laughs) like just things like that just because i mean now it's super common to be mixed but not it wasn't like super super common like 20 years ago when you were a kid yeah yeah no i I totally get it we we need it like i'm definitely i'm definitely a left-leaning guy Mm -hmm. um but you know there's i'm not i'm not anything actually let me rephrase that i'm not anything i just have views and some of them are on the right some are on the left i don't give a damn totally yeah that whole thing is weird i don't like putting people in boxes or again ideologies are stupid i don't like it they don't serve purpose well, they do serve a purpose. That's a lie. I don't think they serve a good purpose. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about how just going back to the context and people don't have context. People don't have experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that publications have to abide to certain ethical standards, if you will. And they don't necessarily. And that's why I will always gravitate towards smaller publications and smaller Mm -hmm. organizations over larger ones because agendas become prevalent um i I was just hoping you could speak on that a little bit in terms of you know if you do get to a point where you become a larger publication how are you gonna not have an agenda well i think that's impossible 
Like, I mean, I have, I, I do have, you an have agenda. an agenda. <laughs> I do have things that I, I want to cover and things that I don't want to cover. But you have I an agenda like... that I like, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I feel like that's, yeah, I know it's a, impossible. I think the best way to know if you stand for a publication's ethics would be to look at the editor in chief. Cause that, the editor in chief is essentially, if you think of it as like an art gallery. Mm hmm. Yes, the artist has created all the work, but who has put the work together in that way? The curator. Mm. So the editor in chief is essentially the curator of words. So they're going to go through every single person's articles, the editor's work. They're talking with the creative directors. Everything is being funneled through their vision. So while... You have lots of different contributors, lots of different editors. You have com- like different companies, different campaigns. It's still really mm-hmm. going through their vision. So I think I think that's a really great way to like figure out what publications you want to support. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of situations in the publication industry where. Um, there's some pretty bad editors. Nah, I was like, is she going to tiptoe like, around? Is she going to tiptoe around? Nope, she went for it. No, I, I mean, I've also had experiences being, um, being like a contributing writer. I've had actually an experience quite recently. I'm not going to call out the publication. Okay. But um, I mean, if you a want particular to. editor in chief has been very vocal on social media about really wanting to give young women and people of color a chance in journalism because those are the two um, those are the two kinds of people that generally don't get opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still very male dominated, very like white male dominated industry. Yeah. Um, and then I was brought on to the publication. I wrote a few articles with them, and then. I started kind of getting some like really nasty emails from the editor in chief that were kind of like verging on like verbally abusive <laughs> emails, oh not, not very nice things. And then, but there were like, like social media announcements that I was writing for them and things like that. So it was mm. like, you kind of start to think, okay, am I am I being used for the social media points? Because behind closed doors, I'm not being treated yeah. with the respect or dignity that I deserve. I wow. mean, me personally as an editor and as an editor in chief, I wouldn't like, I don't care if you're, this is your first day writing or you've been writing for 20 years. Everyone deserves mm-hmm. to be treated with respect. So mm-hmm. I think as a human. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think like, there's a lot of things that are kind of trendy to to say. Oh, completely, um, yes, absolutely. And, and that is definitely in journalism one of them, like having people of color on your team, having women on your team, having yeah. young people on your team. So I think, yeah, I think it's, it's maybe the reader's job and other contributors' job to sort of dig into who the editor-in-chief is is or who their editors are who's mm-hmm. leading the publication because that kind of is yeah that's where the ethics 
start. Totally. I like that. I like a lot that you're putting the onus on the reader itself. Yeah, you know, like, yeah, oh, totally. Him or herself, right? Because you're consuming something. And you, you form the market. And, yeah. And these publications and these businesses go towards the market. The market is the market. It's very hard to change the market. You have to adapt to the market. And if you can craft the market in a right way, in a, in a just way, in mm-hmm. a fair way, then, you know, you're doing your part. I love the way. I love the angle you crafted there. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And um, instead of, like, us using that situation as an opportunity to call out the editor we decided instead to put a call out to for submissions totally totally it was like okay i could we could call out this person this publication or we could just maybe take in some people who are dealing with this this person (laughs) rather than call out the problem you're creating a solution yeah i think it's beautiful better it's way better it's way way better okay we gotta wrap this up here but (laughs) let me tell you one or let me let me ask where where can we go to where can we follow you plug 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 okay um the the stage is yours avocado toast.co for instagram uh, we're actually eventually going to be a publishing company. Oh, so we're registered. Yes, registered as Avocado Toast Company, mm-hmm. um, which will be the publishing house. Avocado Toast Post resides within the publishing house. Gotcha. Um, my personal Instagram mm-hmm. is J M Pomeroy. Mm-hmm. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um, when is the next issue coming out? Well, our cut deadline is march 15th so i would say somewhere at the end of april we don't have an exact date (laughs) but it'll be it'll be the end of april beginning of may for sure beautiful yeah beautiful definitely i uh, i can't wait to to add it to my coffee table yay i really appreciate your time thank you so much thank you (laughs) listeners thanks so much and uh until next time that's a wrap